and you're going to get a real great word. I have no clue what Lynn's preaching on today, but I'm excited about it. Anybody else excited about it? Bring it on, Lynn. Come on down. Everybody say hi to Lenny. Hey, Lenny. You're the next contestant on hopefully the preacher is right. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. already 1118 uh, and I just want to press right in the word but um, most of you already know and if you don't know uh, it means that you don't have Facebook no uh, Carmen and I and our family or a part of our family are going to be relocating to the only state that when you say the name of it your lips never touch together did you know that <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> uh, we are going to be relocating to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and there's a Holy Spirit story that's behind that, and I'm not going to take the time to unpack all that this morning, but uh, if you want to know that testimony and that story, we'll tell you, but maybe in a private setting, uh, but we're just going to focus in on teaching the word, but I uh, just want everybody to know how much we love you in this body, really appreciate uh, all of you, and as I stated on Facebook, um, you know, it's kind of a real bittersweet thing for us, if you would have told us, and I told some of the folks this morning, if you would have told us that we were uh, going to be relocating, I would have said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Matter of fact, I was contemplating buying my burial plots just to spite the devil in Indiana. Um, that's how uh, fixed our heart was. And, you know, God has a way of erecting detour signs and says, this is what you think you're going to do. And, and um, uh, we've just kind of had a, a radical shift in, in what I believe God has called us to do. And even when we were engaged in it, um, of, you know, seeing if this was what the Lord had for us, walked away and just said, God, unless we have a real divine intervening word, we're, we still are not going to do this. And God was gracious and gave us that type of direction uh, because I didn't want to make a mistake at this juncture. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're 50, you don't have a lot of room for error, all right? And... Uh, God really gave us a direct intervening word, was gracious to us in letting us know his will where it would not be something where we would be confused and uh, confirm that in several ways. And so it was not something we expected or even really wanted. So some people are saying, well, congratulations. I go, really? <laughs> um, because it means uprooting your family and, and uh, going through transition. And, you know, I'm just, there are two things I'm going to do from now on at the beginning of the year as a preacher. Uh, when we try to establish themes for the year, pick up on themes, I'm just going to say to everybody every year, this is a year of transition. 
And number two, this is going to be a year of trials, all right? Because you'll be 100% accurate if you say that every year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can even be pathetic. You don't even have to be prophetic <laughs> to nail that one. To nail that one, you, you can even be pathetic. Uh, you don't even have to be prophetic. Uh, I've kind of been wrestling with what the Lord wants me to share. And I'm going to kind of give a word that's been something I've been marinating on and meditating on. Marry those together. And you get a, a meritating. So this is a word I've been meritating on. Marinating and meditating on. Uh, I can see it's going to be difficult this morning. <laughs> we, we may not even get the text read, all right? Um, so it has been something that I've been pondering in my heart, but I also believe the Lord wants me to speak a direct word uh, to New Covenant. And I want to even go... Further, I believe God wants me to speak a word to you, Eric and Karen, based on some prophetic things that God gave me. In the book of Ephesians, before we read this text, there are three postures, and if you've ever done a study on Ephesians, they always tell you it's about sit, walk, and stand. And the first posture in the beginning of the book is about that we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And that is that posture that we assume in and with Christ. And so in our relationship with the Lord, we're not striving, we're not grasping after, we're not struggling to attain. And I believe that was what Chris confirmed this morning. There is such a rest with the Savior. <laughs> he does everything well. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And as he sits upon his throne, he sits there with a sense of complete accomplishment. That everything that pertains to you and your destiny and your future is firmly in his grip. So much so that when he stated to his disciples, he stated to them, he said, I want you to know nothing can pluck you out of my father's hand. Whew. Now you're talking about a reality of security that surpasses all understanding. And, you know, a passage that I lean on when my world gets turbulent is Psalms 2 because it's that picture of a God who's completely at rest. He's comfortable with being God, people. He's not up there saying, well, I'm going to try to fool them a little longer, but I'm going to try to grow up to be God someday. Oh, no, no, no. He's full-grown God. <laughs> He's the master at what he does. He has established his purpose, and it will surely come to pass. Not one word has been errant. He's not misled. He has not somehow misguided now his words are with deliberate direction and he says my words will not return back to me empty 
but they will accomplish what I've sent them to do. And so he invites me when I come to his throne. He says, sit right here with daddy. And let him rage. Let him plot. Let him imagine a purposeless thing. Because I want you to know there's no greater vanity and purposelessness than the enemy trying to conspire and fashion a weapon against the people of God. So he'll just say, sit here and rest while I arise for you and I cause your enemies to be scattered. And so when I'm around Jesus, I'm just sitting there. And I'm enjoying the peace, the love, the security, the presence that he just holds us with and lets us know everything's going to be okay. I love you, you love me, and therefore everything is going to work out for good because I have called you according to my purpose. Then there is this posture of walking in Ephesians. And the posture of walking is in relationship to how we walk this thing out with our fellow brothers and sisters. And I love that too. So it's with Jesus, I'm at rest, I'm, I'm seated. And then with my brothers and sisters, I am actively pursuing, I'm not indifferent, I'm not passive, but I'm actively engaged in developing relationship and, and giving and receiving, supplying the effectual working of what God has put in me and trying to share it with others, but also engaged. I mean, going where I need to go to be engaged with other people to receive what they have to give me. And that's the miracle of the family. That's that thing of living out relationships in ways in which we are blessed to be a blessing and, and we are sharing and we are loving and we are laughing when people are laughing and we're crying and weeping when other people are weeping. We share life with each other. And I'm not going to go back and share some of the things that I've shared over this last year. But we've got to get this thing and get it down deep in our heart that Christianity is not just me and Jesus. We have a good thing going. It's us and Jesus. We have a good thing going. And that I'm not successful unless you are successful. And I'm not fully living in in my destiny, unless I understand that I'm connected with the success of the larger community. And living that out, even though it's difficult. <laughs> Just like marriage, it's difficult. I mean, and you know, we use that term marriage. And we talk about civil marriage and, and, and civil union and things like that. Well, I want you to know we're married to the Lord. And we're married to His body. And I don't know any of you this morning that got up and argued with yourself about whether you would eat and feed and take care of yourself today. Not one part of you, one part of your hand or your leg or half your brain didn't say, you know, I'm just not going to be in relationship with you today. No, you're, you're a unit. You're a whole. Spirit, soul, and body, you're joined together. 
And that's what we've got to see it. We've got to see that you are a part, and all of us are a part, of that anointed body of Christ. And so just as Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me, I've got to realize I am in you and you are in me. (laughs) And so if I hurt you, it means that I've hurt myself by my hurting you. I'm going to be diminished if I am a stumbling block and I go out and abuse and hurt and wound people. I'm actually hurting myself in the long run. And I got that with my marriage. Hello? I mean, you've got that on an individual level with you and your spouse. When you hurt them, you're actually hurting yourself. Well, we got to get that in the church. Amen? So we got to walk it out. Then there is this third posture that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And again, this text is a very familiar passage. And I'm going to start reading at verse 10 to kind of go to the beginning of thought. Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Everybody say, take your stand. Take your stand stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, because we face a very determined enemy who is plotting, devising, scheming, doing everything he can to abort the purpose of God, not only to spite God, but also to destroy you. And he said, therefore, in light of that, I want you to put on the full armor of God. In other words, every piece that can be used, that is made available to us, not just half of the armor, but put on the full armor of God. And the full armor of God means that there is not one aspect of my life that God is leaving indefensible. Every part of your spirit, every part of your soul, which represents your mind, your will and emotions, your body, God has provided an armament for that you're totally, fully protected. But then he said this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Now, I wish I could say that that phrase, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by Paul, was not there. Because Paul said this, battles, and this is my vernacular, But by him saying, when the evil day comes, he is declaring to us that there are times in all of our lives in the future where there is going to be a raging battle, a day that will be earmarked and characterized by an intensity of the presence of evil. And I I don't know about you, I'm sure... Because I know most of you, 
there are moments where there is a shift in the atmosphere. There, there are times where one day it was all flowers and perfume and just the world was sunny and bright and the very next day there is a shift in the atmosphere. And you go, man, I wish I could turn back time and retreat back to yesterday because I liked what was happening yesterday, but I could tell this is going to get messy. This is going to be nasty. This is going to be a battle royale. This is going to be for my very life and existence. And I found that there are two reasons why God who is sovereign, permits evil days to come our way. One, because we're like General Custer, and when the Crow scouts tell him, General, this is the largest Indian village we've ever seen before in our lifetime. This is not just women and children down there. There's about 3,000 Sioux and Cheyenne braves there and they have been preparing for battle. They know you're coming. They want you to come. They want you to attack. And I was watching a little, because I'm a history nut, I was watching just a little bit of a history program, and they said that these Crow Army Scouts started stripping their Army uniforms and painting their faces and, and putting on their Indian garb, and there was a half Indian, half French scout, and that knew English, and Custer was upset because they were taking off their uniform, and he told them to go over there, and he said, ask them what are they doing? And uh, the, the Crow Scouts responded back. They said, we don't want to die as a white man. Today, we will die with you, but we're going to die as an Indian. And Custer was upset that they were so negative about the perspective about the upcoming battle. And that man, in his arrogance, in his blindness, and in his pride, continued to divide his already small force in that moment of decision. And as we know, he rode to his death. And in this documentary that I was listening to, you know, they said that normally you get the glorious story of Custer's Last Stand written and showcased by people that imagine what the battle was like. But one man investigated what the Indians had to say of what actually happened because their grandfathers were alive that day when Custer took his troops down into the valley. And they said from the time that he rode down to the mountaintop and got down in the valley, Custer had, a, had about a life expectancy of about 15 minutes. It was over that quick. And when he charged down there immediately, he received a hail of gunfire that I don't think he expected. And they began to bolt and turn and they died on the hill. It was all over in about 15, 20 minutes. Now, evil days come because sometimes the devil seeks whom he may devour. And so if you get out there and in, in our 
pride and in our stupidity. I mean, you know that sometimes the spirit of stupid comes on people. And you're just out there painting a target. I love the far side cartoons. And one that I'll always remember is, is two buck deer standing up. And one of the bucks has crosshairs upon him. Like a scope crosshair. And this buck is pointing to the other one, you know. Like, I know one of us is going to go, but go ahead, shoot him. There was another one that was in the deer hunting genre. And it was like this deer had a, again, scope crosshairs on it. And the one buck walks up to him and says, bummer of a birthmark, buddy. <laughs> and some of you have painted targets on yourself. And I want to just say to you, this is me just loving you and, and uh, you know, being, being a truth teller to you. But some of you need to stop being so stupid. Just stop it. Because you come back to us as pastors and as leaders and you go, oh, I'm under such attack. And we go, we know. Why did you do that? Why did you paint yourself with a crosshair? Why did you run out with such a spirit of stupid on you and do the things you've done? And then you wonder why the devil has an advantage and is cleaning your clock? Why did you say that? Well, I just couldn't help myself. Well, you're going to have to learn to help yourself. You know, get some soap and wash the crosshairs off. Take the target off. Get out of the devil's artillery range. If you know he has a certain range, why would you stay in range? If it's 100 yards, you want to be 120. Okay, enough on that point. But there are other times where the evil day comes. And you go, now wait a minute. I've learned from my mistakes. And I have learned to put on the whole armor of God. And I used to wear about half of it. But I've learned to put every single piece on to protect myself. Because I know when he hits, he hits hard. And I want to make sure from head to toe, I'm fully equipped, fully armed. I'm armed and dangerous. Because I know that battles are inevitable. And I'm in the midst of a war zone, and I'm not just going to stick my head up and stick my tongue out the devil and go, yoo-hoo, see if you can hit me. No, I've learned. I've learned. Humility is the chief requirement of every one of his soldiers. Hello. You can't go out and make a, 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 a you know, just a railing accusation against him. I mean, he will clean your clock. This is an ancient, treacherous foe. That has killed men. That has destroyed people, cities, nations. He is a pillager. He takes no prisoners. So I have a great degree of respect knowing that he's got thousands of years of experience of being a trained killer. And here I am 50 and he looks at me like a toddler. And so I've learned to cling to God. I've learned to lean into my beloved. I've learned to say, Sergeant, Sergeant Jesus, 
You lead me into this battle. Because you've scouted through this treacherous battlefield. You know where the minefields are. You know where the barbed wire is. You know where the pillboxes are. You lead me through the lines. And I'm going to cling to your belt. You've got to lead me through and lead me into the battle. And that's the point. Jesus reveals to us truth about who we are. Because when we're sitting, he, he talks to us. When we're seated, He begins to reveal to us as we gaze upon Him and as we begin to behold Him and see who He is, He begins to impart truth to us and that truth begins to transform our perception of reality. It begins to transform our perception of who we are and once He feels confident that you've got it, He is willing to test you in the knowledge that He has imparted to you. That's why some evil days are your own fault, but some evil days are just like Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism and the heavens open and the Spirit of God descends upon Him and the voice of the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased This is the one that I have chosen. This is the one that I love. And it says that immediately, once he left the waters of baptism, the Spirit drove him. Everybody say, drove him. And that is when Sergeant Jesus comes and says, I know you've enjoyed the wine house or the celebration of my presence. I'm a king. You've been in my court. I've celebrated you. And in that celebration, I've given you a confidence to be who I have dreamed and created you to be. But now it is time that we arise and we do what kings do. I mean, you know, kings go forth to battle. And I know that you did not. When you came into my presence and when you, I, I set you With me on my throne, you were wondering why you were even there. And it was awkward at first because there was that sense of fear and unworthiness and insecurity. But over time, the fullness of my joy, the fullness of my presence, and the wine of my joy and my strength began to strengthen you in your confidence. But it wasn't just to make you feel better. Brothers and sisters, all the truth about identity and destiny is not just about making you feel better. It is there is a job that has to be done. There is an adversary which must be not just defeated because Jesus did that, but the reinforcement. And, and, you know, it's God's design, and, and let me divert just for a moment. When the children of Israel went from wilderness into inheritance in the land, Joshua, which is a type and a figure of Jesus, and I love when you read in Joshua what he did. When he conquered the kingdoms there, those kings that represented those warring tribes, the Amalekites, the Moabites, you know, any of the ites that they conquered, One of the things that Joshua wanted 
the people of God to understand their identity. They were not just wandering nomads that were not a people. They were the people of God. They were the inheritance of God. They were the chosen people of God. But it wasn't enough for them to just be told that. They had to experience that. It had to become their reality. And so how did that reality become experiential? Well, Joshua, after they won the battle, the Bible tells us that they took the kings that they had conquered that represented those powers in which they had subdued. And Joshua had the children. I'm talking about the young kids. Because the older people had a mentality of what? We're just liberated slaves. But the new generation, it said that Joshua had the young children go. And what did he do? It said that he had them learn to put their foot on the neck of kings. Kings that had been conquered in battle, but he wanted the children of Israel to know this is who you are. God has said that you're the head and not the tail. He has said that you're above and not beneath. And so now that truth which has been spoken to you, prophesied over you, now you experience what it means to be an overcomer. Now, I fought the battle. I led the army. But this is your heritage. Learn to be a conqueror just as I'm a conqueror. So Jesus gets out into the wilderness, driven there by the Spirit, thrust there in the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. And immediately, the arena of the test was on the the revelation that he received. If you are the Son of God. Well, I want you to know that when Jesus, on that evil day, those evil days of 40 days and 40 nights, it says that after, you know, enduring that test but overcoming Satan, it says that he left the wilderness and he returned back to Galilee in the power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The revelation had translated into experience. When Jesus went into the cities of Galilee, they were not looking at a guy, hello, that did not deeply know into every fabric of his being who he was. That's why... He could speak a word and demons would have to go. Just speak a word. It was, it was phenomenal how that there was this explosion of power that came out of Jesus that all came out of a revelation from baptism. But first that revelation had to be tried. It had to be proven. And you go, Lynn, I don't know if this is theologically sound. Hebrews said that he learned obedience by the things that he endured or suffered. And you go, how can perfection be perfected? It was. Perfection was perfected. And so the revelation was something that was actualized when he came out of the wilderness. And he knew, I've got authority over anything that I've got to face. 
Now, I just want to say this to you, that this scripture in Ephesians 6 says, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. This is my challenge that I want to give to you. God wants you to stand against the enemy. And the key is, when you're in an evil day, you want to be sitting with Jesus, but you want to be standing against the devil. I think sometimes we get our postures wrong, <laughs> you know, because we like to sit. And we like to just sit in the presence. And we like to just enjoy, tell me more. Whisper more sweet everythings to me, Jesus. Tell me, tell me more of who I am. Tell me what your plans are towards me. In the evil day, what you received when you were seated and resting and enjoying that season now needs to be translated into you having a spiritual spine and standing. But what some of us do is we like to go, where, where's the celebration house? Where's the, where, where's the throne room again? I want to go set some more. Did you actually say that, Jesus? Here, tell me again. One more time. Tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me one. Just secure my heart one more time. Reinforce it one more time. And what he's doing is he's saying, no, do not go back there yet. This is a day when the evil day comes. You need to understand, I've not thrown you out into the battle because I'm not confident in your ability to stand. Grow a spiritual uh, spine and it says, having done all to stand, stand. But listen at that phrase, having done all to stand. In other words, there are preparations for you to be able to stand. Having done all to stand. It's amazing when you are defending, and if we were, if Newcastle was, we knew was going to be attacked by a foreign army. We would have to pull a think tank together of some people that knew military strategy and we would say, is Newcastle defensible? If it's defensible, then we need to put up defenses. If it's non-defensible, we say, we choose not to fight here now. Because we want him, if he is an aggressor and we know his nature is to attack, we want him to attack our strength. We want him to come into something where we will inflict more pain upon him than he inflicts upon us. But if Newcastle is defensible, we want to say, how do we defend? What do the defenses look like? And so Paul, in this passage of Scripture, he's saying, listen, but you can't just run up there and just say, okay, I'm going to stand. He's told me to stand. He says, having done all to get yourself Ready to stand. If you're going to make a stand, I want to have the most defensible place to stand if I'm going to have to take a stand. Now, this may sound too simplistic, but I'm going to throw it out to you anyway. Some of us, we rush out when we sense the, the day of attack or the day of battle is upon us and we run out and say, this passage says, having done all to stand, stand. And we wonder why we can't stand. 
We go, well, is the Bible in error? Did the Bible not promise us that we would have the ability to stand? The Bible promises you the ability to stand when you've done everything to stand. In other words, you have prepared for the day of adversity. You have prepared. And, and what some of us do, and this is the point that may be too simplistic, some of us like to focus all of our energy on the things that we enjoy focusing on in our spiritual strengths. So if there's something that I, I feel passionate about, I'll just pursue that focus and I'm strengthening myself in that arena of truth and I, I'm just totally focused on preparing myself to stand in that area and your walls are already 500 foot tall in that arena. But yet your back door is wide open. And so this man or this being that is a master strategist, he's scheming, he's observing, he's looking, he's doing espionage, he's spying. Is he probing the places of your strength? This is too simplistic. No, he's probing the places of your weakness. But I don't want to focus on that because I hate to look at that. Because every time I look at that, I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. It takes me back to bad times in my past. All those things like that. Well, why is what was weak to you in the past still a weakness in your present? It's because you haven't focused on strengthening what is weak. And you need to fortify with brass and iron and steel. And cover over those weak places. So I'm going to tell you right now. If you've got weaknesses in the lust of your flesh, in the areas of your sexuality, guess what? I don't care how many books on healing that you're reading. I enjoy reading books on healing too. They're inspiring, they're encouraging, and I want to be able to stand on the day that I need healing. But more than likely, if my wall is 50 foot thick and 500 feet high when it comes to healing, but I am sexually weak because the devil bagged and tagged me in the days of my youth and I've had weaknesses in that area, maybe pornography, whatever. Guess what? Can you for a moment say, I enjoy reading these healing volumes, but maybe I need to talk and read and focus in on overcoming sexual addiction. And really start digging my trenches. Putting up the bob wire, the cantina wire. Putting up some spikes and stakes. Putting down some minefields. Hello. Hardening my concrete bunkers. Putting in some artillery. Because I want him to think that I'm still weak in that area. To where when he comes and throws his forces against me in that area, I will rise up with the word of God on the inside of me and say, it is written in the word of God. I'm telling you, this is a word for some of you this morning. If some of you have had tendencies of having a, a weak emotional composition where you're easily offended. And relationship seems to be your struggle. 
I know you want to read a lot of books about deliverance because of all the people you think need to be delivered. But I tell you, if I were you, and your deliverance model is 500 feet high, 50 feet thick, and it's a bad boy. That strong tower in God is a bad boy. He attacks that. The devil is insane. He's going to get his clock clean because you know the word about deliverance. But relationally, it's easy for you to get offended. Come on, say, shout me down. Come on, shout me down. Shout me down right now. Tell me I'm not preaching you the truth. No, what you need to do is you need to start reading everything that you can about emotional healing. And get yourself healed. Because guess where he's coming? You can, you can have every bit of your stronghold in God fortified, but leave that back door open. And guess what? He's going to come through right through that door. And when everything is lost in that day and you're reeling and retreating and you're falling back and you're telling the bugler, sound retreat, sound retreat, you're saying, why God? Why? Why couldn't we stand? You said that we could stand. And he says, you didn't do everything to stand. You didn't prepare your defenses. You just on the day, evil day when you got up that morning, you just sensed, oh no, this booger's active. He's coming for me. I can sense it. I smell him. I smell a snake. It, it's just that way. I tell you, there have been days in my life where it's like, he's here. You start looking around. Where's the ambush? Has he got a kill shot yet? Have I walked into a kill zone? I'm telling you, it's real. And the best thing, if it's already that late, where you know the enemy's in already past your wire, and your alarms didn't go off, and he's already inside the walls, the best thing for you to do is drop right there, right now. Call out on the name of God that He may have mercy on you. But that's not what this is about. This is about you having done all to stand and you fortifying, getting every piece of armament that the armor of God affords you and you reinforcing it. And just when you say, well, that should be enough, that should tell you to say, no, I'm going to go deeper. I don't think I can be offended now. I really read a good book, went through Sozo, got prayer. Hello? Went through Theophostics, went through an ancient past seminar, family foundations. I've done it all. I got it. I got it. I got it now. No, go and repeat the course again. Amen. I tell you what, that, that's what they do in basic training where you can... Blindfold yourself. Dan Dingo's oh, blind. He's a Marine. Blindfold yourself. Take your gun apart and put it back together in an, a certain amount of time where you're not even thinking about it. It's all second nature to you. 
You know why? Because when that offense comes, and it will come from someone that, again, you didn't, you, you're all prepared for the, the people that are just offensive. Hello? You know there are just people that are offensive, and you just go, I'm aware of who you are. You're a stumbling block in the kingdom of God. I stay away from you. My radar comes on when you're 50 miles away. Ding, 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 stumbling block ahead. It is the person that you love that's going to offend you. Because all of us are susceptible to enemy use. We know that. Peter, Peter says to Jesus, Thou art the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he's going, Man, you just, look at that growth spurt you just had. Wow. Matter of fact, this is such a powerful revelation I'm going to now give you a nickname and call you Piece of the Rock. Simon, I'm going to call you a Piece of the Rock. This is a, you're now a foundation, a pillar in the house of God. You're on your way into growing into a pillar in the house of God for eternity. So Jesus says, now based upon the revelation you got of who I am, now I need to inform you about my destiny. I was born to die. And so we're going to go, guys. I know the miracles have been fun. We've had quite a ride. But this thing's going to end in Jerusalem, me strung up on a cross. And this man who just went through this prophetic utterance, greatest prophetic utterance that has ever been uttered by a human being, turns around, grabs Jesus and says, come over here, I want to talk to you a moment by ourselves. He says, you're not going to die. It's not going to happen to you. I'm the one I told you who you are. Stop talking that way. And Jesus turns around to him and doesn't call him Peter. <laughs> doesn't call him living stone. Doesn't call him pillar. Don't call him piece of the rock. Don't call him revelation man. He says, Satan, I see you in there. You get out of my face and get behind me. Now, why would Satan have tried to use Peter? Oh, man. You know how much Jesus loved Peter. Oh, wow. Loved him, loved him, loved him. And can you imagine him having to tell Peter that? But let me throw something out to you. If you don't know this about Jesus, he's got a killer instinct. Because there are seasons where he's got the disciples, they're all in a circle around the table and they're just leaning on each other. John put his head on his chest. I mean, these guys were friends. Jesus told them that. He said, listen, you know, a master-servant relationship, the master just gives instruction of what needs to be done. We're changing the game. This is not about me. And rightly have you said I'm master and Lord, but I'm not treating you that way. You are my friends. Therefore, I want you to know the secrets of my heart. But Jesus, when it came to spiritual warfare, there was a killer instinct. 
And many of us in the church, what we do is we have not prepared to stand so that we can stand. And we have weaknesses in our life where we have these propensities to give place to the devil. And can I say this? The devil will even try to use your goodness as an advantage against you. And that's what he tried to do with Peter. Now, I'm going to finish this because it's already 12.06. And the holy hour has expired. (laughs) We're now into the secular time on Sunday. And so, whenever you give me the, the holy hour, everything's good. But you go past that and you enter into the secular hour, guess what? Then... Some of you are struggling with being offended with me. Just kidding. Very quickly, if you learn to prepare and to stand, what happens is there is a transformation that occurs in you. Because like I said, some of us get beat up because we're stupid. Others are being advanced to new levels of authority. But the only way you have that new level of authority is by passing the evil day and not only preparing to stand, but then standing and seeing your enemy have to withdraw. Just because, not because you got into this big wielding sword fight with him, just that he knows when he attacks and you're up there and say, I'm ready for you. I dare you to try to hit this wall. I've read every Kenneth Hagin book imaginable. I've got every Bill Johnson book imaginable. Chris Ballatin. I've got just about everything in an arsenal. T.L. Osborne. I've read just about everything on emotional healing. I mean, go ahead, make me pray. You will find that he forms up, but then he goes like this. He starts backing off. I love those kind of victories, don't you? Where you just, you've done it, you've done it right, you've clothed yourself for armor, everything that was indefensible, you have now defended, fortified, and you're ready to engage, and he knows he cannot take you off guard. Because you are on guard and you're ready. Now, quickly, I want to just talk about this story and I'll try to do the Reader's Digest Bible version. David got into a situation right before he, made, before he became king where his life, he was living the dream. Right? <laughs> Samuel prophesied over him and said, you're going to be king. And whenever you got that word, I mean, you know, the word tries you. Everything God gives you, the word tries you. And can you imagine being there as the one who felt that there was this destiny about you, but it looks like you're further away than you've ever been before? You're a mercenary for the Philistines. 
And you have this little refuge city away from Saul and his assassins called Ziklag. And you have this disgruntled band of people that have followed you, but God's made them a mighty men of war. They're good at one thing, and that's killing people. So good at killing people, the Philistines hire you to kill people. How many of you know the Bible is just real, and it's raw? But this is what the future king of Israel was doing. So he was out on his missionary journeys, and the Amalekites come, attack Ziklag, carry off wife, children, all the possessions. They're all gone. So David comes back from military service with the Philistines as a mercenary, comes back, and guess what? His little band of people that believed in his destiny, believed that he was going to be king one day, believed that if they followed him where he was going, that someday they could have significance and importance. And guess what? All of that dream is now shattered as their wife and children and possessions are all gone. And in that moment, guess what? Those men that had endured a lot with David now turn against him. David is entirely, completely alone. And the question that I keep asking myself when I press into that text and press my mind into that text is I say, David, how did you do it? How did you stand? When everybody else was focusing their toxins and their anger and their animosity and, and, and really a spirit of murder was manifesting where they wanted to kill David. How do you do it? Well, thank God that David had his defenses prepared. And the Bible says that David could stand in that evil moment, in that evil day, because he had prepared to stand. And how had he prepared to stand? The Bible gives you this one phrase. It said that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I believe that in the strengthening of himself in the Lord in that moment, there was a walking back through the faithfulness of God to David's life. And the very same thing he recounted to Saul when he faced the giant. I believe David in his mind and in his heart. And I, I like to call them default settings. How many of you got some default settings? It's easy for me to get up in the environment that we had today where the presence of God is rich and the worship is real and for us to just shout out a bunch of stuff. Because we feel it. But feelings do not matter in the moment of battle. It's what you believe. It's got to be rooted on, deep down on the inside of you. And so David went back and he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I believe that he recounted, you've not brought me here to die at this moment. Otherwise, the bear could have done it. You didn't bring me here to die because the lion could have killed me. You didn't bring me here in this moment to die. Otherwise, the giant could have done it. Saul could have done it. I could have been killed hundreds of times. So if you spared me to this day, Surely these men can't touch me till my destiny is fulfilled. 
Now, when you have that type of bedrock spiritually on the inside of you, now, most of us would have just said, well, David strengthened himself in the Lord, and he said, God, how can I escape from these angry men? Ah, that's right. I saddled the donkey, and he's around that back of that building. And what I'll do is I'll run out, jump out that window, saddle my donkey, get out of here. No, David didn't do that. Get this. He was able to go back out to those men that were going, I, I believe they probably had some rocks in their hands. And after David strengthened himself in the Lord, he walked back out there, and he turned it. He turned the battle. It was going against him. But he counterattacked. He counterattacked. And he turned it. Now I, I say, that's a good day. <laughs> when you can go stare down men that are ready to kill you and say, guys, and the Bible doesn't record what David said to him. But you know what? He turned those angry offended, murderous men back into an army by a strength of truth that was in him. I believe that if David would have failed that test, it would have prolonged his time of not being in the throne. Do you know what? Right after that, when it looks like he was the furthest away I mean, it looked like the end game. Ah, David's a loser. <laughs> you know, he's been chased. He's been hounded. Now it looks like even those that are the most loyal, not even supporting him anymore, he's alone. This guy can't be king. Nobody's following him, not even his most loyal supporters. Guess what? In just a few short days, guess what? David was seated on the throne of Judah. I call that snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. But the choice is up to us whether we're going to prepare to stand so we can stand. Eric, I said this was a word for you. And I'm going to just tell you about a vision that I had. And the vision was somewhat of what I preached today. You were in your house and you were seated. And there was a storm that was raging outside. And I was in your, my house, your house with you, and I walked over to you, and you were set, setting down, and I said, Eric, stand up and rebuke the storm. And your response to me was, well, Lynn, I'm just right now resting and at peace and thankful. And the Lord showed me there is a rest that you've achieved in God where you're not disturbed about the storm. There is a peace in God that you have that the enemy can't take from you. And you also had an attitude of gratitude in spite of the storm that was raging outside your house. But I believe the Lord is wanting me to tell you there's a time to sit, there's a time to stand. And God was sending me to tell you, stand up. And I told you, I said, if you'll rebuke this storm, this storm will cease. 
I believe there is a new, and I already said this to you privately, there's a new level authority that's being birthed through you by the adversity that you're enduring. This is not to destroy you. It's not to cause you to retreat. This is because promotion for you in the realm of the Spirit is on the way. I feel it. It's time to stand. I want us to stand with this man. Eric, I believe that this last year, year and a half, there's been this word about a change in your leadership. And I know this about you because of my relationship with you. You're one of the most gentle spirits I've ever met. And I tell everybody, this is one of the purest pastors, pastoral giftings that you'll ever want to experience. I just love hanging around you because I feel myself being pastored when I'm around you. And you're not even doing it intentionally. But I just feel myself loved and cared for. It just leaks out of you. But I have a sense that God is wanting you to get a killer instinct. And it's not a killer instinct when it comes to the sheep or your shepherding role. But there is a warrior kingly role where when you see enemies, they must be fought, they must be defied, they must be defeated. And this is a weird word out of Psalms. But David said, God, give me a per perfect hatred toward your enemies. And I know that's a pretty unconventional scripture in the political correctness of our times. But I believe that when it comes to the enemy... We can claim that scripture and say, God, give me a perfect hatred towards those that oppose you. Because what when we see the works of the devil, the Bible says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested. Not just to save us and redeem us, but the primary purpose was to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Father, I pray for this man who you are equipping with a new arsenal. You are going to cause this man not just to be a carer and caretaker, a mender, a healer, someone that pours in the oil and the wine, uh, the one who takes care of the wounded after the battle or for those that have been wounded in battle. God, I thank you that there is an anointing and there is a level of authority which you're bringing this man into in which he will say, I'm tired of those that are being wounded. I will go face the giant. I will defeat him. I will go out and make war against him. And so, Father, I, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God, that you are known as the warring God. 
the God of forces, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And I pray, God, that you would make this man into a warrior king that has skill in the art of spiritual warfare. Even as David said, teach my hands to war that I may bend and break the rod of iron. God, I pray that you would give this man a strength. I pray that you would give him an anointing, that he would be strong in the Lord and in the power, in the power, in the power of his might. And that, Father, as he is seated with you, there's intimacy. As he's walking with the people of God, there's love. But when it comes to the day of war, this man has a killer instinct in God. He identifies the enemy. He establishes strategy to defeat the enemy. And he pursues the enemy until his power is broken in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for that, God. And I thank you, God, for that authority. And we already know that this promotion and authority is coming because of the new devils that he's faced on this new level. But, Father, I thank you that we will see the enemy flee from him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We bless you, God. Lord, we just thank you for the people of God here. We thank you for teaching us wisdom on how to prepare to stand. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would show us the weaknesses in the areas of our defenses. God, let the armament of God be rushed to the front. And I thank you for this church. I thank you that it has a warring spirit. I thank you for intimacy, but also warfare. And I ask God that you would give them victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. Until this region knows that Jesus is absolutely Lord over everything and anything in this region. And Lord, we just claim that Old Testament passage that it says that no enemy was able to stand before David all the days of his life. Lord, I thank you that in this house, not one enemy, not one stratagem, not one strategy, not one weapon, not one device will be able to stand before them all the days of their life. And we give you glory for it.
In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Bless you. If you would, guys, let's just uh, also reach our hands towards Lynn. You know, this is not goodbye as he's going to Iowa. He's going to come back. He's going to minister here at New Covenant. We're going to still be in relationship in this journey. But we want to bless him, amen? We want to bless our friend. And so, Father, in the name above every name, I thank you. God, I thank you for Lindbergh. Let's thank God for him. Thank you for what he's meant to us in this congregation, in this region. And it is bittersweet, Lord. But Father, I thank you for his heart to do whatever you ask him to do. And so, Father, as he goes to Iowa, I thank you that, God, you are anointing him to bring transformation to that region there. That he is going to be a father to many there, to many sons and daughters. But, Father, I thank you, God, for uh, you just bringing increase, increase, increase in his life and his family's life. That your blessing, God, would go before him. And what I see almost, Lynn, even as you go, there is a wake behind a boat, but I see you splitting water as you go forth. That there is this thing that you're going to, it's, it's like the, the crossing the Red Sea, that you're, there's a splitting coming as you come forth. And, and uh, there's going to be a, a, a mighty groundswell of God's presence as you go into that land. And so, God, we bless him. We thank you, God, that this is not goodbye. But, Lord, we, this is see you later, and I'm gonna, uh, there's going to be more to it. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we bless him, and we send him off and say, God, bless him indeed. We love him, and we thank you for him and Carmen and the kids. In Jesus' name, let that seed scatter <laughs> in Cedar Rapids, Amen. Iowa. May Cedar Rapids, Iowa never be the same. In Jesus' name. Are you in agreement with that, guys? Amen. Amen. We bless you. Thank you, brother. He said, come see him in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Well, Father, we just thank you for today, and we just thank you for your presence. May you seal what has been accomplished today, and may we bring down the kingdom of darkness. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go and be blessed. We love you. The wind and waves surround me. And I'm just feel like I'm drowning. If you want to continue to support Lynn financially, he's going to be directing all of that through New Covenant as well. So for those of you who want to continue to support his ministry, we'll be just Put it in the offering whenever you want, and we're going to be sending him checks throughout the month. So, Amen.